This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Pass the Mic. Just wanted to warn you that this episode will include multiple mentions of the N-word. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of the Reformed African American Network, Mr. Jamar Tisby. Jamar, how you doing, sir? Doing well, man. Uh, trying to get used to this summer thing. The kid's out of school, and so that kind of shakes things up. But shout out to my wife. She made a whole spreadsheet with his schedule, activities, wow. lessons. She's amazing. I'm married way up. Absolutely, man. That's clear, bro, because <laughs> you're too busy writing for the Washington Post or being uh, featured by Teach for America to keep up with the spreadsheet, brother. You're blowing uh, up, Jamar. Quick shout out to our listeners. It was a privilege that Pass the Mic got featured in One Day Magazine, which is the magazine of Teach for America. I'm an alumnus of the program, and so they profiled several different alumni who have podcasts. Ours was on there along with DeRay McKesson's Pod Save the People. So that was really cool. And thank you so much to our listeners for making things like this possible. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Every subscription, every share, Every time that you've downloaded, it's really helped us out. We have such a, a loyal listener base. And so because of that, again, as we mentioned in the previous episode, June is going to be Listener Appreciation Month. That means we're going to be doing some great things, some things that we haven't even ever done before on Pass the Mic. So I'm excited to debut those things to you. And one of the things that we'll start by doing is on Saturday, June the 10th, so that gives you a little bit of time. On Saturday, June the 10th, we are going to pick the most creative entry, the most creative answer to this question. How has listening to Pass the Mic affected you? That's it. How has listening to Pass the Mic affected you? So you can answer in paragraph form. You can answer in video form. You can answer in music form. However you want to. What'd you say? Haiku. Yeah, you can do a haiku. You can write poems. You can get it on however you want. You just need to submit it at submit at randnetwork.org. Again, that is submit at randnetwork.org. Send us an email. And on Saturday, June the 10th, we will pick the most creative entry and bless you with a book bundle. And it's going to be fire too. So some of the books you may have, but I guarantee you Jamar and I are going to pick a couple of books that you've never heard of before or that you can't find that we just have lying around that we want to donate to the cause. I got some good ones, Jamar. Oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be your whole summer reading list. That's for sure. (laughs) So that's right. Submit at submit at rednetwork.org. How has listening to Pass the Mic affected you? And on Saturday, June the 10th, we will pick the winner. Maybe we'll do it live. I don't know. We'll see what's up. Sounds good. And this is just a way, again, to express our appreciation for all of our listeners. Y'all give us so much encouragement, not just your listenership, but messages that we get on Facebook or or at Pass the Mic meetups. And we just want to let y'all know how much we value you. And hopefully it's a fun month. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Tyler, uh, let's get into it. 
there was an incident that that disturbing so much so that she needed some time to process it mm. and pray through it and think through it before you could even speak publicly about it. But if you're comfortable, um, I think this would be a valuable discussion for us to have on Pass the Mic. Yeah, man. Um, if you're following me on Twitter, then you know uh, what I'm talking about when Jamar's referring to, but I didn't really share the whole story. Um, to be honest with you, I've been back and forth about whether or not I should talk about it on the podcast. And I think sometimes it's really helpful to keep large parts of your life, especially some of these traumatizing moments, these disturbing situations to yourself and to keep that private with a few trusted advisors and people who you can kind of offload this to and, and vent to, and they can kind of see the full process of emotion. And I think sometimes black pain and black grief is voyeurized. You know, people watch it and they're like, wow. And so they just gawk at it instead of actually stepping into why it exists in the first place. So, you know, with all that in mind and, and recognizing that, you know, I'm still working through it. So I'm just going to give you all the very unfiltered version of how I'm working through it. But was at a department store or hardware store, excuse me, and uh, was going to duplicate a church key. And this was basically a, a weekday. I'd had an intense weekend, a very emotionally draining weekend. So I'm already a little on E. I'm already a little on edge to begin with. But I asked them, where's the key duplication? They pointed me to a certain aisle. So I went to that aisle and everything was cool. Like I'm, I'm dressed normally, nothing abnormal. I'm just trying to get this key duplicated and get out of there. So a young black woman comes up to me and it's important that I mention her ethnicity because of what's about to happen. And she asked if I needed a key duplicated. I said, absolutely. And so she starts duplicating the key. And there was a white man, middle-aged man, who was standing kind of to my left, but out of my line of sight a little bit. And I saw him when I walked up, but I just kind of walked past him to get to the attendant. And uh, she just asked me randomly, she said, how's your day going? And I said, well, I'm hanging in there. How about yours? And before she could answer, the man steps in between us to where he's looking at both of us. And he says, are y'all a part of the human race? Hmm. You know, and so just off top. Now, mind you, mind you, I don't know this guy. I've never met him before. He's never seen me before, to my knowledge. Doesn't know me from Adam. I, I don't I don't know anything about the dude. And so, you know, he said, are y'all part of the human race? Because she, you know, answered. So I just immediately, like, looked down. And I said, you know what? I'm not even going to get into this, bro. Like, I don't even want to. And this is something, Jamar, I guess you can attest to this as well. I don't talk about race outside of past the mic or like specific panel discussions. I never right. talk about race with people I don't know. Right. I just don't do it. Don't Unless you step from. on my Facebook wall or something or I'm tweeting about something that you want to talk about that. But honestly, I never have a nuanced conversation about race in person with anyone who I do not know. Um, it's just I've been burned too many times. So, yeah, like I could have answered him with the. Well, yeah, of course, we're all part of the human race, but race is a social construct created by racism. And there's really, you know, I could have done yeah. that. I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. Like, I just don't do that with people. And so whenever a white person asks me any question about the human race, I know they're trying to talk about race in general. So I'm like, you know, I'm good. So I just replied. I say, yes, I am. But I'm black. <laughs> and, you know, he just kind of does a double take and he's like, well, why does that matter? And I'm like, well, because God created me. He says, see, see, that shouldn't 
matter at all. Your race shouldn't matter at all unless there's some sort of medical issue or unless there's this or that. And I'm, you know, again, I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you want me to tell you. I'm just telling you I'm black. You know, I'm part of the human race and I'm black. That's all. That's really all I have to say, sir. And so he was just like trying to convince me and all this stuff on this colorblind mentality Mm -hmm. and approach to race in America or race in general. And I'm just shaking my head, looking down. I'm not paying any attention to him. And so he says, so let's just take, for example, the word nigger. Are are you a nigger? You must be a nigger. And I can't really describe to you how I felt in that moment. Like I tried to use some descriptors on Twitter of the emotions that I was feeling. But all I know was I looked down and I blinked a bunch of times unsure of how to respond to him. And I thought, man, there's, there's a number of different ways I can respond. Um, I could make a scene. I had a flurry of obscenities that I could throw back at him. I'm just telling y'all honestly, just my knee jerk reaction. Um, and I looked up and as soon as I looked up, I saw the attendant and her, her face, her eyes were as big as saucers. And she was looking directly at me, Mm. like just to see how I would respond. And I didn't realize it, but my fist, my right fist was clenched and it was, uh, it was away from him. So he couldn't see it. My right fist was clenched and I didn't even really realize it, but just the shock of that word caused me to prepare to defend myself and seeing her look, I don't know what it was about it, but she was looking at me almost as if to say help and or don't do what you're about to do. You know, she was just like watching me and just her look like caused me to take a deep breath and grab the key and just walk away. Mm. Um, and even as I was walking away, the dude tried to, to to talk to me and walk me down. I was just walking away from dude. Um, so yeah, man, I don't really know. You know, the movie Get Out was so, it's such an amazing movie. And one of the reasons that that it's amazing. Is it properly displays in film form what black people experience when they go through racism? And the young man is absolutely paralyzed in the seat talking to Rose's mom, like he's paralyzed. And the paralysis of the sunken place is a real thing. That when you encounter racism, there's a paralysis that exists. I thought back to every single time I've said, I've heard the N word said by white people towards me. Um, I thought about the time when I was 19 and a group of, of white teenagers threatened my life at a gas station two miles away from my home out in the country where they, where they wave Confederate flags proudly. And they called me a nigger multiple times. Um, I thought about the time, the first time I heard the word nigger, which was around Christian white people who referred to me, they were babysitting me and called me the word nigger. Um, I thought about college where I'd heard the word nigger used multiple times in a country, Southern context. And every time I remember all these things I could have said at that moment, but I refused to say anything because it's almost like I was kidding. My dignity was kidnapped. Like my identity in that moment by uttering that word they robbed me of my personhood. They stole my personhood. And even if it was a temporary kidnapping, they stole something from me. And it, it the only response sometimes is just to freeze. It's just this paralysis. 
And, you know, people say, yeah, you know, people aren't doing the same things that they do. They used to do to black people. They're not kidnapping them. They're not enslaving them. And I think, you know, the reason why people aren't doing that is because they found a more efficient way to kidnap our dignity and personhood. Mm. And and in that moment, man, I was frozen. I felt like something left me in that moment. And I felt like this dude just decided, you know what? I'm just going to mess with this nigga's day. Like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk up to this nigga and I'm going to mess with him. I'm using the word intentionally because that's how it felt. Like, I'm going to come up to him and I'm going to assert my superiority in society. I'm going to assert my whiteness on him. And I'm going to ruin his day. Like, I don't know the dude. Didn't have nothing on that would say I'm an activist or I care about race or all these various discussions, nothing. And he just decided he was just, man, let me walk up to these two people who are people of color, who are black in America, and let me ruin their day. Wow. Um, and so that's what happened, man. Man, I wish I had the words. Um, thank you for sharing that. I know it's painful and difficult and... In a sense, it's yet another scar uh, caused by racial wounds that, you know, it may heal up to a sense where you can function, but you'll always have that reminder. It never completely yeah. goes away. Yeah, it's it's crazy that you said it, because like I said, I thought of every time I had ever been called the N-word. I vividly remembered how I responded every single time I had ever been called that word. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of people don't understand it. Like if you're not, if you don't live in the South, if you don't live in the South, I'm not saying you don't understand it, but there's something different in the South. Like the word is so entrenched and layered in the South that it carries with it multiple connotations. And, so, you know, more cosmopolitan places are like enlightened about, quote unquote, about the N-word. So they let people say it, you know, they let people get away with Talk about whether you're in New York or L.A., you know, they let people say it sometimes if you go to a certain place. I, you know, it's just nonsensical. But there's something really radioactive about race relations in the South. And, you know, I heard once that when they drop a nuclear bomb on a particular city or in a region, that the radiation and the radioactive material and waste, it basically ruins the ground. Like it ruins the ground from ever being able to grow plants or trees or fruit. And if that's the case, I really feel like that's exactly how race relations are in the South. It's just a radioactive reality. It's this, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we do, no matter how many times we say, oh, we just need to listen to each other. Oh, we just need to sit down and have a conversation. We're having probably more conversations now than we've ever had about race. And people are still getting called niggers in 2017. And, you know, it's just frustrating because I think there's a huge part of this conversation that, and I went through it. Like, I I was upset, man. I asked a question, like, who, who is this dude? You know, was he at a church a couple of days prior? Um, who are his family? Like, who are the people around him that have heard him use this word before and allowed him to get away with it? You know, what's the long-term effect of evangelical silence uh, surrounding the N-word conversation? Like what is, or, or surrounding any sort of, of racial bias or any sort of coded language or dog whistles? You know, who did this person 
how has this person voted over the past 16 years? You know, what did he say about the former president? You know, what has he said about other black people around him? Who told him this was okay? You know, all these things that made me incredibly angry and frustrated and just worked, um, just my mind mentally taxing, man. It's just mentally taxing. So just thinking about all that, I think it's just very, um, it's, it's been very difficult to process. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, I mean, we, we're, we're battling spiritual powers and principalities here. Uh, who knows what was in that man's mind when he decided he could ambush you, I think is the right word. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 it comes in a lot of different forms too. I feel racially ambushed online very often where people will all but use the n-word uh with me Correct. they'll denounce everything i'm saying everything i'm standing for as far as race relations and unfortunately it's often typically white men who are like this man in your situation whether they know it or not trying to assert their dominance in a right. situation by right. correcting these black people on their views about race or theology or whatever it might be. And, you know, very often I, I can't read messages. You know, I don't know if this is going to be very often, like from our listeners, a message of support, or if it's going to be somebody who's just got a bone to pick and for some reason wants to mm -hmm. try to assert their own power and right. to read a message that comes as a gut punch which is, I imagine, a little bit what you and the young lady felt like. Like, where did this come from? It's like a sucker punch to your identity. Um, yeah. And you raise a lot of issues with this. I mean, one of them is how we, well, how many people, particularly white people, tend only to define racism as an incident like this with somebody... Sure using the n-word and the presumption that the, that it doesn't happen that much anymore and that the people who do it are the extreme 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 of mm -hmm. society which i think is wrong on both counts like number one it happens still very frequently to the extent that many 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 black people have been called the n-word in their right. lifetimes um and it's not the extreme. I mean, you ran into this guy in the hardware store, right? There's nothing more. Man, I, I could tell you some name. stories, man. I could tell you all some stories that have happened to family members and my family members have witnessed from kids, <laughs> from seniors in high school, man, to college students. To It's not just one dude who's mentally deranged. You know, that's the next thing that they go to. It's mentally deranged. You know, he's just... He's got an illness and he's, you know, he's just probably a regular dude, man. Probably regular dude who's yeah. at a hardware store, you know. And we saw this with, with fraternities. I remember a couple exactly. years back, the SAE, SAE fraternity. Um, like these are college kids uh, who are who are chanting this yeah. in jest. So this is one thing that I hope our podcast and our conversations help to convey is that racism is real. And it's common. And to the degree 
that we fail to confront the everyday manifestations of racism, we will continue to see the more extreme manifestations of racism because we haven't cut it off at the root. And so this is a call to action yeah. to, to shake us out of our apathy. And I'm going to say black people have been fighting racism for a long time, ever since we've been in this nation, even since before it was a nation. Yep. We need white brothers and sisters to have the conversations in the context where we aren't present and to shut this down way before somebody thinks it's appropriate to walk up to a complete stranger, ask him if he's part of the human race, and then use the N-word to try to shut him down and deface his dignity. We can't do this alone, y'all. We yeah. need you, and I think it's an obligation for Christian brothers and sisters to stand up for the image of God in all people, particularly uh, folks in the household of faith. Yeah, and, you know, in that moment, Jamar, I was very thankful for the black church. And you're like, why are we thankful for the black church in that moment? I'm thankful for, you know, systematic theology. I'm thankful for the deep things. I'm thankful for the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, I'm thankful for all the great commentaries. I'm thankful for these brilliant intellectual theological reflections that we have from men and women who are long since passed from us and who are not all black. I'm thankful for them. And I'm thankful to know what my position in Christ means for my identity. You know, I'm thankful to know that because of the Imago Dei, you know, I have dignity and worth and value created in the image of God. That I'm a part of the image of God. And and that stuff is is awesome. But that stuff in and of itself, that sophistication alone doesn't always give me the emotional equipment to deal with racism. It gives me the intellectual knowledge and it's the foundation of where I sit theologically and where I sit from a spiritual aspect. But, you know, sometimes the, the, the sophistication isn't there. Like in that moment and the rest of that day, the rest of that week, I can't think like, man, well, you know, this is all because, uh, you know, the world is broken and fallen. And, and you, I'm not thinking in those big world, big words. And I'm not thinking in those 30,000 foot concepts. You know, the only thing I could think, man, in that time. You know, and some of y'all may may or may not be familiar with this, depending on where you came up. But the only thing I, I the, the sophistication went out the window and I said, the devil is a liar. And the devil is a liar, bro. Mm. You know, yeah. and I mean, that's just how that's, you know, in those moments where you're inundated with any sort of feeling, with any sort of depression, with any sort of dark thought when you're attacked by the enemy. If we do genuinely believe that this is a spiritual stronghold. Man, sometimes we got to get the emotional equipment to handle it accordingly. And I think that comes, yes, from the truths of scripture, but it may be articulated in a different way. And I think sometimes people come and I even had a couple of people like, man, you know, you know, Jesus and, and the gospel is this and you know, because of that. And, and I'm like, bro, I, I get all that. Like, I believe all that, but I need someone to emotionally stand with me. <laughs> you know, I need someone to stand by my side and call this what it is. Yo, get behind a well, Satan. Is, you know what I'm saying? This is this is why I think some people yeah. have trouble and have an issue with having the race conversation because they don't have the emotional equipment to enter into the grief that we feel 
and it respond with the equipment that was developed by the black church, this folk religion that was basically saying, yo, for God, I live, for God, I'll die. You know, our, our feet is tired, but our soul is rested. You know what I'm saying? This, these right. basic statements, you're right. like, well, what's the book chapter and verse for that? Bro, the devil is the father of lies. Well, the devil is a liar, bro. And sometimes that's just what you got to say just to get through. My my critique with Reformed theology as its practice or it's 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 been developed is it's very cognitive, it's very epistemological, and from that standpoint, it, it's 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 very sound. It's a strong framework, but we're not just floating heads. We have physical bodies, and we maneuver in the real world. And so what, from particularly a racial perspective, I think Reformed theology has always been weak on is the experiential aspect, the existential aspect, which is what you're talking about, the real-life lived experience of faith, which goes beyond. It has cognitive you know, principles as a foundation, but that's not all. It goes beyond that not to abandon it, but to be more encompassing than that, to encompass the emotions, to encompass this visceral reaction toward evil, which is what you had. And it doesn't always get packaged neatly into words, especially in the moment. That's when you so filled your heart with Scripture and the Holy Spirit has filled you and you just react out of faith, um, much like I presume Jesus did when he was tempted by the devil. Exactly. You know, he didn't sit down and write a theological treatise. He knew the word and he knew the truth, and so he could recognize lies when he heard them and rebuke the devil. And in that moment when you are assaulted emotionally and spiritually and intellectually and existentially, that's what happens. That's all you got sometimes. The Holy Spirit... Yeah, and and it's powerful, and we ought not to belittle that. We ought not to say that because it has to do with instinct or emotion that it is somehow deficient. Now, we shouldn't only live that way, but there is value to that, and you're right. The black church understands that. That's one thing that many white Christians don't get is the experiential reality of racism. So for many, it's all hypothetical. It's all principle. And so if you just have the right thought patterns, racism will go away. Well, it doesn't work like that, clearly, since we're still experiencing it today. What the black church understands better than anyone is, is the experience of racism in America. And what the black church does is mine the Bible for God's answers to how you survive in the face of constant and varied indignities. And hear the Lord's answer, which says, you are my child and you are valuable. It doesn't matter what they call you. It matters what I call you. And it matters that I have called you. So you are my own and never forget your identity is hid with Christ. Your life is hid with Christ. And so you can withstand those assaults. But even as I say that, it is not to do an end around the real pain and the yeah. real hurt 
that you have felt in this incident and that many of us have felt. And understand this stuff is cumulative. Like you said earlier, Tyler, when that man said this thing, it reminded you of all the other times you've been called the N-word. You know what it also reminded me of, Jamar? Like, it reminded me of Tamir Rice. It reminded me of Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown and Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Sandra Bland, and Rakia Boyd. And now Richard Collins III, you know, a young man who was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Army, was about to graduate from Bowie State, celebrating at the University of Maryland. And man walks up to him, tells him to step. He says, no, stabs him in the chest. He's dead. Well, I, I don't really know if it's racist. It could be a hate crime. I mean, I don't, I don't. This man is dead, bro. And we're trying to intellectually... We're trying to intellectually explain, cognitively reason with why he was killed. And the fact of the matter is people in this country hate people like Richard Collins. They hate people like Tamir Rice. And was that the case in this in this instance? Clearly something happened. I mean, we got the Tamir Rice uh, officer. Officer Loman is fired for an application, like willfully lying on his application but what happens like he's fired but he's not fired for killing a, a, a child within one point something seconds of seeing him while he's playing with a toy gun i mean this is a cumul- this is not just a cumulative effect of of my experience it is a cumulative effect of our experience and as long as this stuff is allowed Dude. from me being called a nigger to tamir rice being killed to richard collins being killed to people getting off without Man, I, I shudder to think of what will happen to Jordan Edwards. I shudder to think what is going to happen in this case, which seems so clear, clear cut, which seems so easy, just like the Terrence Crutcher situation. It seems so basic. It seems so obvious. You shouldn't shoot somebody if they're walking away with their hands up. You just shouldn't shoot them. But, you know, it's the world that we live in, man. If exactly. not for God, bro, another black church, for but for God. God, if not for him, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm thankful. There's a there's a solidarity of suffering that I think you're speaking about. Uh, a solidarity of suffering for African Americans means that we, on some level, sense and feel the pain of our kinsmen according to the flesh, and it is the accumulated pain of centuries of suffering that gets uncovered every time an incident like this occurs, which is why, in my view, Christians need to press so hard and so urgently against racism in whatever manifestations it occurs. This is not something to play with. There is an urgency. There's an imperative around here because people are hurting. And that's what drives me, honestly. I've been hurt. I've been isolated in the household of God because of race, because of culture. And as long as that keeps happening way beyond me, but as long as that keeps happening to other people, and I can still sense their pain and I know what they're going through, we're going to keep doing what we do. 
We're going to keep having these conversations. And we know that on this side of heaven, racism will never be completely eliminated. But what we are going for is an increasingly healthy church. And that, I think, will be a witness to the world about the power, the reconciling power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is way beyond simple sociology or race relations. This is about the integrity of our gospel witness to a watching yeah. world. And I hear your pain, brother. I affirm your humanity. I affirm your dignity. I love you. I weep with you. I'm so sorry this happened, and I will fight till my last breath to make sure that these kinds of incidents occur less and less in our lifetime. Amen, bro. That's a good word. I appreciate that, brother. I love you too. But yeah, man, thank you guys so much for listening and um, share your experiences. If you've got anything, we pass the mic to you. If you've got anything that's happened to you recently, uh, had a couple of people share some stuff with me in my DMs. And so... Um, recently that was shocking as well. So, um, man, this is a safe place for you. We also encourage you to join the Pastor Mike private Facebook group as well. You've been listening to Pastor Mike, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.